We are in Acts chapter 21. We've been tracking through this book for a while now. I've had some well-meaning friends ask me how long we will be in the book of Acts, and that's none of your business. Just keep opening again and again to this precious book, and we are in Acts chapter 21, and Paul has done his three missionary journeys, and now we've heard that he is moving on his way towards Jerusalem. We're going to hear more about that, but he's stopping to see friends along the way, and we pick him up in Acts 21, beginning in verse 3. When we had come in sight of Cyprus, leaving it on the left, we sailed to Syria and landed at Tyre, for there the ship was to unload its cargo. And having sought out the disciples, we stayed there for seven days, and through the Spirit, they were telling Paul not to go to Jerusalem. When our days there were ended, we departed and went on our journey, and they all, with wives and children, accompanied us until we were outside the city." And kneeling down on the beach, we prayed and said farewell to one another. Then we went on board the ship, and they returned home. When we had finished the voyage from Tyre, we arrived at Ptolemais and greeted the brothers and stayed with them for one day. On the next day, we departed and came to Caesarea, and we entered the house of Philip the Evangelist, who was one of the seven, and stayed with him. He had four unmarried daughters who prophesied. While, they were staying, while we were staying for many days, a prophet named Agabus came down from Judea. And coming to us, he took Paul's belt and bound his own feet and hands and said, Thus says the Holy Spirit, This is how the Jews of Jerusalem will bind the man who owns this belt and deliver him into the hands of the Gentiles. When we heard this, we and the people there urged him not to go up to Jerusalem. Then Paul answered, What are you doing, weeping and breaking my heart? For I am ready not only to be imprisoned, but even to die in Jerusalem for the name of the Lord Jesus. And since he would not be persuaded, we ceased and said, let the will of the Lord be done. Let's pray together. Father, you give that very prayer to us daily in the Lord's prayer. Your kingdom come, your will be done. Lord, if we could own that, believe that, pray that, walk in step with the Spirit in that, you will change us, you will change this church body, you will glorify your name. Do that in our midst, we ask in that precious name, Jesus' name, amen. Well, friends, I have a public service announcement for us that should be obvious to anyone here who has followed Jesus for any length of time. And that news I want you to hear this morning is that following Jesus is hard. Following Jesus is hard. Do you know that, church? Do you feel that, church? Have you felt the cost of following Jesus. You see, I have this vision for my life. Some of it I could articulate to you. Some of it is probably just in the back of my mind what I assume I'm going to do, but it's a vision for my life and how long my life is going to last and where I'm going to go and what I'm going to do and who I'm going to see and what's going to happen with my kids and my grandkids and what's going to happen with this church and my ministry. I have this vision for my life and as a believer, it's not wildly hedonistic and it's not crazy and it wouldn't raise eyebrows in any uh, decent company. And yet even so, 
I find myself daily, hourly choosing between what I want to do with myself and my time and my money and my house and my dining room table and my friendships and this church and what Jesus is calling me to do. Daily, hourly, a fork in the road, will I choose the thing that will bring me comfort or will I choose the costly thing that is following Jesus? I think it's so important for us to speak early and often together that it is hard to follow Jesus. It is costly. It runs against my natural instincts and my desires. It is countercultural. It is counterintuitive. It is hard to follow Jesus. We might put that in the fine print in the church or in our evangelism or when we're talking to other people. Jesus never did that himself. He pasted it on the front door that it is the road of the cross to follow after me. So when we meet Paul this morning, he is on his way to do a hard thing in Jesus' name, which sounds like every morning for a believer who wakes up and is called to do a hard thing in Jesus' name. And because we're called to do that, and because we get to watch Paul, let's see him in four scenes, feel the resolve in the spirit to do it. Then he's going to have some friends that try to talk him out of it. And then he is going to double down on what God is calling him to do. And then finally, praise God, his friends will come around and agree that this is the Lord's will. So four scenes to watch what it looks like to follow after Jesus on this hard road. Scene one is the Spirit's call. So God is the one who is calling Paul to go to Jerusalem. We didn't see that in our text, but it happens back in chapter 19, verse 21. Paul resolved in the spirit to go to Jerusalem. Then in the very next chapter, chapter 20, verse 22, 22, he says, I am going to Jerusalem constrained by the spirit. So the spirit is talking to Paul, and we don't know how the spirit is talking to Paul. We only know that the spirit did talk to Paul, and I think this is very important for us to hear. Paul is on his way to a very dangerous city, Jerusalem, that has no love for him, no love for his work, no love for the church, and it will almost certainly hurt him, arrest him, kill him, or all three. And it's important to see this was not Paul's idea. This was the Holy Spirit's idea. This is the Spirit of God, the Comforter, who is calling Paul to this hard road. I say it's important to see it's from God and not from man because, church, it's actually possible to suffer in Jesus' name over something Jesus never asked us to do. Do you know that? Do you know you could suffer in Jesus' name, saying Jesus' name, for something that Jesus actually never asked us to do? Like I could get out in my neighborhood and I could be obnoxious in my evangelism (laughs) And when people distance themselves from me and don't want to talk to me, I can say I'm suffering in Jesus' name. Well, no, you're not. You're being a jerk and no one wants to talk to you. And if you treated me that way, I would persecute you too. Like that's not what Jesus is calling you to. 
I could try to do something dramatic for God and I could spend my money or my resources or my time or sacrifice my family to do something big in God's name and when it doesn't work out and, and it all falls apart, I could say I'm suffering for God, but I'm actually not. That plan was ill-advised and not prayed through and we didn't plan ahead. So that can happen. You can suffer saying it's in Jesus' name, but it's not in Jesus' name. But that's not what Paul is doing here. He resolves to go to Jerusalem, and it's not an impulse decision. It's not a grasp for attention. It's not this masochism that he wants to suffer in Jesus' name. Paul is simply putting one foot in front of the other in the spirit to do what God is calling him to do. Now, as commentators have read this, they have pointed out profoundly that Paul, walking in step with the Spirit towards what sure feels like certain death in Jerusalem, actually looks like Jesus walking in step with the Spirit towards what sure seems like certain death in Jerusalem. I mean, you read Paul's account and it's deja vu to Jesus' account and there's five parallels between the two. So both Paul and Jesus, they involve plots from the Jews. Both predict that they will suffer three times. Both specify that they will be handed over to the Gentiles to suffer. Both resolve to complete their journey. Both say that they are committed to God's will. Now, I don't think those parallels exist by an accident. I think those are signposts screaming to us to teach us something about our relationship with Christ. When the Bible says we're born again, when the Bible says we come to faith, it speaks in this glorious, mysterious way that you and I become joined to Christ, united to Christ. We are in Christ. Christ is in us. The New Testament brings that up 200 times. That's almost a reference per page, 164 times in the Apostle Paul. It is meant to teach us, to show us, to scream to us that we are wholly joined to Christ and he to us. He is Emmanuel, God with us. And when we think about that union with Christ, we often think about its benefits, and we should. Because I'm united to Christ, I have his justification. I will have sanctification and glorification. I will have answered prayer in Christ. Those are benefits because I am in Christ, and Christ is in God. And when God sees me, he sees his son, and I have those benefits. But we less often speak about the costs that come with such a union. When I am united to Christ, I am also united to him in his suffering and in his death. There will be moments of my life that sure feel like Easter, praise God, but there's a lot of my life, the Bible says, that is going to feel like Good Friday. I will walk with Jesus in this road of the cross. So when we see Paul following Jesus' footsteps towards Jerusalem, and that reminds us of Jesus making his way with resolve towards Jerusalem, it actually makes us think about us as a believer. I too get in line behind the saints of history, and I make my way to this Jerusalem call, and it will cost me dearly. It is no surprise to you to know 
that there is an Americanized version of Christianity. That's not a surprise to any of us, right? That there is this counterfeit, fake religiosity that exists in the church and it exists among God's people and it is tempting because it tells us that God's number one priority for you and for me is life and liberty and the pursuit of happiness. And if that's not happening for me and I don't have access to that, then something must be wrong. Something is between God and I. I am not living God's best life for me now. But church, that confuses James Madison with Jesus. And that confuses the Constitution with the cross. And that confuses the American dream for actually what God himself esteems that he will be glorified in his church and part of that glory will come through suffering. Obedience through suffering. Jesus said, if anyone wishes come after me, let him take up his cross, let him deny himself daily and follow me. When I'm joined to Jesus, I get his benefits And I take with that the cost of following hard after him. And my life is going to look a little bit like a cross. And my budget is going to look a little bit like a cross. And my hospitality and the people I hang around with, those are going to be cross-shaped relationships. And my role in this church is going to feel like a cross because I am joined to Christ and he is joined to me and I will walk in his footsteps. That's what Paul's doing here. He gets word that the next step is going to be suffering and he follows the Spirit's leading to this cross-shaped call for him and so must we. That's scene one. Spirit calls, let's go. Scene two, his friends resist. So on the way to Jerusalem, Paul stops in a bunch of places, but spends time in Tyre and Caesarea with the believers there. And one author writes beautifully, the man or woman who is in the family of the church has friends all over the world. Have you experienced that as a believer? Like, Whether you're in a next city or a state or another country, you meet a believer who's a total stranger and immediately you have this connection with them and you have this rapport with them and fellowship with them. It's a beautiful, beautiful thing. And Paul gets to experience that all over the Mediterranean world. Only in this case, there's a little bit of a speed bump because in both of those cities, his friends try to talk him out of going to Jerusalem. Did you see that? Look at verse four. In Tyre, they were telling Paul not to go to Jerusalem. You could actually translate that. They were repeatedly pleading with him, don't go, do not go, do not go to Jerusalem. Then he gets to Caesarea, verse 12. We and the people there urged him not to go up to Jerusalem. Verse 14 says there was weeping involved. So they are crying and pleading with him repeatedly, Do not do this. Do not go to Jerusalem. Well, now we got a situation on our hands because the Spirit is telling Paul, go to Jerusalem. And Paul's dear friends in tears are saying, don't go to Jerusalem. 
And this is a very delicate place to be. You know, I think within the church, as we rub shoulders with each other, the, the place of godly counsel is so important for the believer. I want to hear from other believers how God is leading them, how God is leading me, what they see in me, what I am accountable to. And when we speak these words of advice to each other, the things of God are at stake. And the road of the cross is at stake and faithful obedience is at stake. And so we don't take counseling each other lightly. This is very serious business. But then as you think about receiving counsel, it is fraught with danger. When a believer opens their mouth, it can be a gift to you from the Spirit or it can be fraught with danger. Beware of the friend who dispenses advice with little prayer and a lot of ease. It's just easy for them to talk and easy for them to tell you what to do. And they're very quick to say what they think you should do and they are very slow to crack open their Bibles and tell you what God says you should do. Beware of the friend who always chooses the way of safety, the way of comfort, the way of security. They advise us for a comfort-shaped life and not a cross-shaped life. You know those friends. If there's pain in one direction and comfort in another direction, I will always advise you to the safer path. Beware of that friend. Beware of the friend who hardly blinks at my sin and would never rebuke me for wrongdoing. And if I actually work up the courage to tell them what's going on with me, they just kind of shrug their shoulders and say, look, we all struggle with that. And beware of the friends who will curb passion for the Lord to step out in faith and to attempt something great for God and that friend is so cautious they will hit you with the wet blanket of reasonableness and let's not get to hastiliness and they will stop you from doing what you feel God is calling you to do. Proverbs 27 6 says faithful are the wounds of a friend's profuse are the kisses of an enemy. Sometimes friends have hard things to say to us and if my relationships are all kisses and no crosses, then something is desperately wrong with the group of people I'm spending time with. Now that's a word for us. I don't want to put all that on Tyre and Caesarea. I don't know what's happening with them. I don't know why they're so urgent about this. I suspect they do what most of us would do. If I hear my friend is in the pathway of pain and I like that person, I'm just going to automatically knee-jerk reaction, tell them don't do that. If it's going to hurt, let's not do that. Surely we could find another way. Surely there's a roundabout. Surely we could still get God's will in this somehow at the end of the day if we'll just take the broader, more comfortable path. Surely we don't need to do this. So Paul is constrained by the Spirit. The friends say, don't do that, which means scene three, Paul must resolve to do what God is calling him to do. 
You can see he's in inner agony. He's torn between what God is calling him to do and what his friends are telling him to do. And you see that in verse 13 when he says, what are you doing weeping and breaking my heart? For I am ready not only to be imprisoned, but even to die in Jerusalem for the name of the Lord Jesus. Wow. That is a beautiful, courageous, gospel-filled line, and it probably feels completely foreign to us. I don't have that kind of courage. I don't have that kind of resolve. I'm probably not going to face imprisonment or death for my faith. But even so, here's the core of what Paul is saying that applies to each and every one of us. His friends are saying, if you do this thing, it's going to cost you. It's going to cost you your life. It's going to cost you your comfort. It's going to cost you what you have. And Paul needs to correct them and say, you're afraid that I'm going to die, but I already died. At my conversion, I died. I was crucified with Christ And I no longer live, Galatians 2.20, the life I live, I now live by the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. You're worried about my life and you're worried about my things and you're worried about my relationships and you're worried about what I'm going to do. But I don't have any of those things anymore. I died with Christ and they are not mine. The things you worry that I can't keep, I have already given up. They are not mine in Christ. Friends, if we could see this about our faith, if we could see this about our conversion, conversion is not, hey, I'm headed in this direction and I heard about life after death and so I'm gonna grab this Jesus thing on my way to do what I was already gonna do and my life after conversion actually looks like a lot like my life before conversion because I'm gonna keep on this path. No, when I come to faith in Christ, I die. My plans die. I die to myself. I give up my whole being and my allegiance to my comfort. And I set off in a completely new direction. Now for Paul, that's going to end dramatically in a martyr's death, in a foreign city. But for us, I suspect it will be a quiet, daily, little recognized, little celebrated dying again and again and again and again. And when I get up and I serve my family and not myself, I die. And when I get up and live for the sake of another, I die. And when I get up and I say no to the flesh and yes to the Lord Jesus, I die and I die and I die. Paul knows God is calling him to do this. Paul's friends for a time being, are crying and begging repeatedly, don't do this. Paul is resolved to do this. And so scene four is absolutely beautiful. There is a complete change of heart in Paul's friends because once they see that God is calling Paul to do this, once they see he is resolved to go forward, I don't even know if they totally agree with him or what he's doing, but they are able to say together to their friend in verse 14, let the will of the Lord be done. If you're gonna do this, 
And you say God is calling you to do this? Let the will of the Lord be done, which sounds a lot like the Lord's prayer. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done. Now that's beautiful and that's theological, but it actually gets deeply personal because check this out. The guy who's been writing this entire story, Luke the physician, he wrote the gospel of Luke. Now he's writing the book of Acts. He's writing this account but he's actually here when all of this happens. He's not just writing a story that happened out there. He's writing a story that he was a part of. Did you see him in verse 12? When we heard this, I was there. When we heard this, we and the people there urged him not to go to Jerusalem. I was one of those people that was crying and pleading repeatedly, Paul, I have been with you since the beginning. You know I am your friend. Do not do this thing. And then he comes to understand that this is the Lord's will and this is going to happen. And what do we read in verse 15? After these days, who got ready? We. We got ready to go to Jerusalem. I don't want you to do this thing. And I believe I have made it abundantly clear that I think this is a bad idea. And if I was the Lord, I wouldn't tell you to do this thing. I believe I have made that point clear. But if you are going to do this thing, and if the Lord is in this thing, And awful things are going to happen, like Agabus said, that you will be tied up and handed over to the Gentiles. Well, then you're not going to do that over my dead body unless I'm coming with you. And if you're going to suffer, you're not going to suffer alone. I am going to pack my bags and I am going to join you in doing something I don't want you to do. And we are going to Jerusalem together. Do you have a friend like that? Because here's the promise in this road of the cross. It's a hard road. It's a costly road. None of us have the strength to do it ourselves. But God promises that he will give us the Holy Spirit who will constrain us, lead us, prompt us to do what he's going to call us to do. And he will give us the church to befriend us and to go with us so that we will not walk this road alone. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, praise you, praise you, praise you. You call us to good things. You call us to hard things. Our lives feel like the abundant life. You lead us by streams of water and in good pastures but not without the cross that we take up and carry daily. I pray by the power of your spirit. I pray by the boldness of the friendships we have in this church that we would be constrained and resolved to do hard things in Jesus' name. And we ask that in Jesus' precious name. Amen.